Welcome back to the Money Pig Podcast brought to you by Goodwin Investment Advisory, where our mission is to lead people to financial peace, independence, and generosity. I'm your host, Reed Trigo. And today on the show, we're joined by certified financial planner, Justin Pitcock, for a discussion about what we do not recommend. Justin, great to have you here. Good day, everyone. Good day, sir. (laughs) It's always fun to have you here. Um, Yeah, so... We want to talk about the things we don't recommend. We talk about all the time the things we do recommend, right? But but there's some things like I, I, I see you guys work with clients and I sit in client meetings or whatever. And like there's certain things we recommend very frequently, but there are a lot of things out there that I hear about and or you see on late night TV ads or cable TV ads, right? Then I'm like, why don't we recommend those things? So I want to talk about some of that stuff. How about let's, it? Let's go. All right, good. So first of all, we want to just say, as an investment advisory, what we really do is work in the world of securities, okay? And people kind of know what securities are, but it's essentially um, stocks and bonds. So the actual definition, it, like when I took the Series 65, yes. investment yep. securities are a category of securities, tradable financial assets such as equity or equities fixed, or fixed, fixed income, income instruments, bonds. right? Stocks or bonds <clears throat> that are purchased with the intention of holding them for investment, for investment. That's right. And I, I would like to add that it pays income. Okay. <laughs> okay. People will good. think of things that don't pay income as an investment, but I'd kind of like to draw the line there and have you reevaluate. Is it really an investment if it doesn't pay income? Or is that just speculation that somebody's willing to pay a higher price? Oh, there, yeah. Because if you buy something just going <clears throat> like a beanie baby years yeah. ago, I don't know if you you oh, were yeah. alive during this, but people <clears throat> had beanie babies. They're like, I'm going to buy up all these beanie babies because someday oh, this is going to be like a precious yep. metal. <laughs> oh, yeah. Doesn't pay income. Okay. All right. <laughs> it, very interesting. Okay, good. So anyway, like I was saying, we see a lot of situations. We make a lot of recommendations, but I want to talk to about these things that we don't frequently recommend and I'm going to list them out and then you just tell me why. Okay. Okay. Let's go. Okay. Here we go. The first one. And I, I hear this all the time. I actually have my own personal story about it is annuities. Oh gosh. The salespeople are so good at sales. So like I should good. be taking notes. So but, let me tell you what I know about them, but because okay. I, okay. I know that you put your money in a thing and it rises with the stock market, but it'll never go down. And then you get your money for the rest of your life. Or does it? But this is what I know because this is what I have heard. There's different types of annuities. There's, you know, equity indexed, you know, there's fixed rate, you know, annuities. There's uh, uh, annuities that are uh, tied to like, you know, some sort of index. So it's going to go up and down as, for example, like the S&P 500 goes up and up or down. Um, some annuities would allow you to, to have actually an investment portfolio inside of that insurance wrapper. Yeah. But an annuity is an insurance product. And we need to think about, well, what is insurance for? It's for insuring a risk. You buy an auto policy to you know protect you financially if you're in a car accident so that you can get your car fixed or if it's your fault, fix somebody else's car and pay right. for medical bills, right? Mm-hmm. So- what is the risk here? Why would you, what risk are you insuring by buying an annuity? It's the risk that you might run out of money. And for good savers, most of our clients, that's not one of their risks. They are working with a financial professional. They are intentional about saving money, making good investments so that they will have more than enough in retirement. 
And every now and then we do run into a scenario where an annuity makes sense. For example, maybe a widow um, is left with $200,000. She's 70 years old. She's concerned that she's not going to have enough for the rest of her lifetime because she used to, you know, when, before she, uh, her husband passed away, they had two social security incomes. Now they only have the highest social security income. So they lost some income there. Um, now they're ha- she's having to withdraw more out of that IRA or whatever. And she's concerned that's just not going to be enough. Okay. Well, she can buy an annuity and ensure that she's not going to run out of money. And it's can pay a little bit higher distribution than what than we would feel comfortable with with a stock and bond portfolio because we don't okay. know how long she's going to live. <clears throat> right. So that's a risk that she can transfer to the insurance company. Okay. So for her, it makes sense. For the average person we work with, it is a sales trap where the the salesperson is probably making six to eight percent commission on whatever they sell you. Ooh. So it's a lot good for them for a hundred thousand dollars. That's six to $8,000 commission. If you're investing a million bucks, 60 to $80,000 commission, one paycheck for this guy. Okay. So you need to know how that person gets paid. We're not paid based on commissions here. Um, but insurance people are folks that sell annuities are paid on a commission. Okay. So I think that this is probably very common, but like annuities and something else we're going to talk about here in a minute it, these are things that have salespeople. They're probably, oh, they're probably appropriate in certain circumstances. Certain the problem circumstances. is the salespeople will sell them to in anybody in non-suitable <laughs> yes, circumstances. Yes. So they're just a little uh, <clears throat> aggressive. Okay, so it's so, good to have uh, get advice from someone who's not selling it and who's not incentivized for you to buy it. Right. Okay. And, and variable annuities, they'll they'll say, hey, this is an investment. There's an underlying portfolio you can pick from this list of funds, like mutual funds that we do consider are and you know uh, of being investments. But the fees inside of annuity, because there's a life insurance, there's a mortality expense, there's other fees that are layered on, a lot of times adding up to be 2 or 3%. So if, if your underlying investments that are inside of that annuity insurance wrapper, let's say they make 6% rate of return and you have 3% fees, your annuities at best going to grow at like an average of 3%. I got it. So annuities will likely underperform drastically because- First of all, the annuities uh, limit, like a variable annuity limits what you can invest in. And they're not going to let you necessarily invest in higher risk things that have a higher growth potential. Got it. So you're going to be, you know, you're going to be able to choose from a watered down list. They've got high fees on top of that. You would likely just be better off to have a savings account on your own and buy a, a whole life um, not a whole life, a term policy. We'll talk about whole life. We'll get to second. that. Okay. Yep. So um, I have a, I like to be transparent here and I have an annuity story. <laughs> Let's go. Let's uh, yeah, it. I know. My wife uh, worked first several years of our marriage. Then we have a child. She just dies, decides to stay home. She has a 401k. Okay. So gotcha. I have a buddy who's gotten into the investment world with a large company. And are you okay saying the name of that company? Well, no, because I don't remember if it was American Express Advisors or Merrill Lynch Advisors. So it was one of those two. I haven't heard of American Express. (laughs) I think it was old. It was a long time ago. Yeah, there was some. Okay, so anyway, so he's like, here's what you should do. You should take that 401k and put it in an annuity. It's what I did with my wife's 401k because my wife and his wife work together. And so what made sense for him to do it with his wife's, right? He made a ton of money off of that. Um, but when doing it for my wife, you don't take, you know, 
what do you call it? In protected retirement assets and put them inside an annuity. You, you're you taking on a bunch of fees you don't have to do. That right. should have just rolled into an IRA. It was a very expensive decision because it probably sat there for six or seven years. Barely grew at all. Bare, I, I don't even know. But yep. it cost me a bunch of money, like 10% of it or maybe more, to get out. And that was in 2008 when I came to GIA as a client. Yes. I, remember, I still remember talking to Tim about it, going, hey, do I need to... I need to get out of this. He's like, I'm sorry. It's going to cost you. But yeah, you probably should just get out it's, of it. It's just be not, done with it. It's it's going to barely grow in most situations. Okay. There's annuity products range in in quality. So, But in most situations, the, it's going to underperform what the investments could otherwise do because of the higher fees that are in an, an annuity. And there's a that big upfront commission that the salesperson receives and that's why there's this lockup period, right? And, and well, you can get out early, but you're going to pay dearly for it. And sometimes that surrender charge is up to about 10%. Mm-hmm. So you're, you know, losing 10% if you get out within up to like 10 years. So that's how long it takes for the insurance company to make up that commission that they paid the salesperson. Ah, there and you that's go. why there's, the, there's this, the surrender period. Yeah. And that 10% is very fresh in my mind because, and this happened like over 20 years ago. It was like shortly after my daughter was born. I think we ended up doing it. So, okay. Yep. Awesome. Don't fall into that trap. Welcome. Yeah. Don't do it. <laughs> and welcome to the annuity show. Yes. So we're going to move on to the next thing we typically don't recommend. This, this also has very good salespeople who uh, sell a product that is probably appropriate for some people. Unfortunately, they sell it to too many people for whom it's not suitable or appropriate. And that's for whole life insurance. Yes. Yes. So it's playing on, on the fear that, you know, gosh, like, you know, later on in your, your older years, you're not going to be able to buy term insurance, you know, so you need to buy insurance that stays with you and say, and it's, it's an investment. It's got a savings account. You're saving money for yourself yeah. and this whole, whole oh, yeah. life policy. Sure. So it, what, what a whole life policy is, is basically a, a savings account. Like, I mean, so that's, that's true and term life. So every premium payment that you make, a little bit of it goes to the savings account. A little bit of it goes to pay your whole life or pay the, 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 basically it's a term life annually renewing term life. Interesting. Okay. So when you're young and you buy this policy, most of your money is going to the savings account and a little bit's paying for that term life insurance. Makes sense because when you're young and you buy term, it's cheap. It's cheap. Okay. As you get older, more of your premium goes to pay for the life insurance part. Less goes to the savings. And eventually it gets to this part, uh, the stage where the cost of insurance is more than the premium. So now it starts pulling out of that savings account to pay the difference because it's a level premium, but the life insurance component's more expensive now than the premium. And it starts drawing down your savings. Now the death benefit's still there. So when you pass away, the beneficiary will get that money, but you're, you're paying dearly for it. And meanwhile, that savings account's only getting you like one to 3%. I think the average is, is less than 3%. So why don't you, instead of giving the insurance company all of your money by term and invest the difference? Mm. 
Yes. And the other thing I think about this is, this is why this is so awesome because I always joke that I need Legos and like monopoly money to understand things, but you just break it down and you explain it to me like, like simple. I am. Um, But what happens too with term, you buy it when you're maybe have a child or whenever that's when people do it. Right. And they buy a 20 year policy because you're going to have somebody dependent on you for about 20 years, maybe yeah. a couple more, 25, 30, whatever you want to do. Depends when you start buying it. Cause that affects the price forever. Right. And at some point you don't need insurance anymore because there's nobody actually reliant on you. And hopefully over those 20 to 30 years, you've done some planning so that you've also been able to take care of any spouse that's, needs. That's the key. And, and people can get themselves in trouble where they don't save the difference. <laughs> But again, thinking about what is insurance for is to offset a risk and term life insurance is to offset the risk that, that your family loses your income. So your dependents, your spouse, you know, your kids who, you know, whatever debts that you have, you know, we got to think about those things. How are we going to take care of that? And so earlier on in life, when you've got a big mortgage, you've got kids that need to get, you know, help through college your spouse wouldn't have the resources they need to take care of the kids, the family. They don't have the retirement savings built up yet, you know, maybe the income potential. So there's, there's a dollar amount that you would need in order to offset the loss of your income. Mm-hmm. And as a general good rule of thumb, Dave Ramsey's spot on with this, this 10 times your income yep. general recommendation, but you could go through the math. If you lost, if you were gone and your family lost your income how much would they need? And we can we can go through that math with you to help you understand what you need. Again, we don't sell insurance products or anything, but right. we could help help you do like a needs analysis. That's right. We're a fee-only investment advisory, so yeah. we don't sell any products here. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, and I love that. Like figuring out how much you need, the 10X your income is a good idea, um, but figuring out all your debts, the income that would need to be replaced. Right. Yeah. To, you know, if, there's a monetary value on a stay-at-home mom because if, if she's oh, not gosh, there- yeah. You got to pay for child care. Super, super yeah, valuable. Yeah, 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 yeah. So amazing, amazing. Okay, another thing I see that we don't recommend typically. Now, but I hear this is really, really important from the late night cable TV ads. <laughs> Precious <laughs> metals, gold and silver. You have to have it because of what's going to happen. Oh, man. The, all the we, bad things are coming. You know your dollar's going to crash. I, the economy's going to crash. <clears throat> so you got to have gold is it and really? Silver. The sky's been falling since I was born, apparently. Like... <laughs> We we get asked this all the time, you know. Gosh, you know, should I buy should I buy some gold? I'm really concerned about the dollar crashing, I mean, and especially lately, you know, we we went through this, uh, you know, COVID, and the, the our government printed a ton of money that we ran up the deficit, and so now there's the, the dollar initially was really strong, all right, and it's kind of gone closer to its long term average. And the media has like spun this off as the dollar's crashing, it's falling apart. That it's not true, guys. It's still above its long-term average, but it's come back down from where it was, you know, a year or two ago. So how this ties in, you know, I think there's a lot of fear out there right now that people don't want dollars and they're they're looking for a solution. And and like you said, there's ads everywhere to sell oh. gold and silver. And but the inflation doesn't hurt. All the inflation oh, that just <clears throat> adds to the fear. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and so the people that are selling this are kind of like insurance folks, typically making 
uh, you know, a large commission, probably five to 15%. I don't know that number for sure. I mean, it's not, it's not free to, to go buy gold. Um, you're going to be paying, paying a commission on mm-hmm. the, on the buy and the sell. Mm-hmm. And when we look at the historical increase in value for gold, it's increased at the rate of inflation and short term, there are spikes and dips, but when you smooth it all out and look at a long piece of history, Gold is increased at the rate of inflation. So it's just a store it's of a, value. It's a it's store of value over, over the long term. It okay. doesn't pay you income. I don't think of it as an as an investment because you're not you're not gonna make money off of gold. When you sell it, guess what? You get to pay tax on any gains that you have. True. But guess what? Over that period of time, the dollar has probably deflated. So you've you've stored your wealth there, and then you just get a pay tax on that later. I'd rather put my money somewhere like equities who are able to adapt to the changing landscape, who are able to raise prices and are able to keep up with inflation. Equities have historically been one of the best places, one of the best places to put your money to fight against inflation. Absolutely. Gold is a, can be a store of wealth. It's expensive to get in and out of. It's expensive to store unless you put it in your safe at home. But it doesn't pay you income, and it's not going to outpace inflation. So it is um, more legitimate than Beanie Babies, <laughs> yes. but kind of has the same yes. feel. It's a speculation. It's a speculation. Oh my gosh! Okay, that if if you think you're gonna, you know, the price is gonna shoot up over the short term, that's speculation. Over the long term, you're just gonna see the value of your gold go up at the rate of inflation. If you're still insistent on owning gold, we tell folks the best way to do that is probably through coins and store them in your safe at home. You don't need to pay somebody to store your gold. Then it's, it's a, a cost center for you. It's not, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not making you money at all. So. All right. All right. Um, and again, there's probably situations where it makes sense. It's not a never, it's just a, not as much as you would think. You're not going to create wealth by buying gold. Right. Okay. I got another one for you that I do not hear us recommend much, but a lot of people want to do this. All Cryptocurrencies. Right. Oof. So give me some Bitcoin. All right. So okay. my views Let's go. Um, may be different than other folks here. Oh, that's true. This is not <laughs> representative necessarily of GIA. This but is just I personally think that cryptocurrency is, is a waste of resources. Um, so actually just last night I was talking with one of my buddies who's, uh, works for the federal government. He's in law, law enforcement. He helps fight international crimes. And we were talking about cryptocurrency and, you know, uh, so anyways, the conversation went to like, well, what is it for? And, you know, I was kind of talking about my case that you'll never use cryptocurrency to go to the store and buy your groceries. And, you know, like my buddy agrees, like just the way it works, it's not economically feasible for you to use cryptocurrency to go buy groceries because there's a cost to verify every transaction. The last uh, number I read was that to verify a Bitcoin transaction cost about $50 in electricity. So you're not paying that to transact, but the people who are mining the crypto are getting paid to verify your transactions. Okay. That's how miners make money. They are getting paid to verify transactions, so and they're burning a ton of electricity to do that. You're arguing against everything we've ever heard, that we are democratizing money and we are creating a currency that will help the 
whoever, Venezuelans with 200% insurance, inflation, inflation, it'll help stabilize the world's economies. And you're saying that there's so much inefficiency in cryptocurrencies that this is just not going to work. It it could be used to transfer large sums of money. It'll be, it'll never get used for regular transactions. The way, the way that the system works, that it just is not economically feasible. I don't know. I think you can buy a Tesla with a Bitcoin. It's a larger transaction. There's a cost to it, you know? So like, for example, Visa can, verify a transaction for a fraction of a penny. Yep. Okay. But for a Bitcoin transaction last, this was, this was over a year ago. So it's, it's different now, yep. but it, you know, $50 per transaction. That's ridiculous. It is. And so again, my, this conversation with my buddy, he works in law enforcement and he was talking about, well, you know, yeah, it, it's, it's like how Russia gets around sanctions. They, they can kind of enforce transactions in certain currencies What's their currency, like the ruble or the, something? The ruble, ruble, right? Yeah. But, you know, they can use cryptocurrency to kind of navigate these sanctions. Mm. Criminals use cryptocurrency. So what, like, the main users are, in my view, criminals. <laughs> oh, my. Cryptocurrency Here is enabling crime. And yeah. that's, like, what my buddy was sharing with me. You may feel different about it. You may think that it's, you know, um, you know this fight against uh, the, the government here it doesn't have an economic purpose to me. And it's pure speculation. If for those who think that, gosh, crypto is going to be the new way, I feel like that's just a speculation that somebody else is going to place a higher value on it than you are. I'll give you a recent example. Okay. So, And I love this, by the way, because I love just hearing you think through and explain stuff. So keep going. This is beautiful. So what, a year and a half or so ago, right? Like Bitcoin was at 60,000. It plummeted down to 20, right? We've mm-hmm. kind of had this build back up. It almost made it to 50. I think it was like 48,000 or something like that. Like a few weeks ago. Like a few, yeah. And we're in Recently. January of 2024, yep. yeah. And so there was this kind of this buildup because and uh, kind of this the hype recently has been, oh, it's going to get approved. There's going to be Bitcoin ETFs now. Yeah. Right? Oh, Exchange yeah. traded funds that you can go buy in your, your IRA, your Roth, and, and, your, and for your brokerage who, account, for people who don't know, an ETF is like kind of like a mutual fund. It's yeah. a basket of a, yep. cryptocurrencies at this Bitcoin. point. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So there's this high people that are in the know about this. Like, gosh, yeah. So there's going to be a higher demand for for Bitcoin because we know these Bitcoin products that's going to make it easy for people to buy Bitcoin are about to get a, it's about to get approved. So they bought in early. Yeah. Right. Sure. So there was this buildup. Bitcoin almost hit 48,000, or it did, I think it was a little over 48,000, right? Right Right after the Bitcoin ETFs got approved, and there's a whole bunch of them. I mean, it's like, uh, I don't know the exact number, but maybe like eight or 10 or something like that. Right after they approved, Bitcoin has lost, has dropped 16% in value. Boom. Boom. Just like that. And it's because there's all this hype, and now it's reached that moment. They left the bag hanging with the uneducated retail investor who thought, oh, now I can finally go buy Bitcoin. Yeah. And the people who kind of knew that was coming, bought in early, and they sold. They sold when the event happened. So anyways, it's speculative. It doesn't pay income. If you can figure out how to pay income, maybe you want to mine cryptocurrency. That would be a way to create income. But again, I I don't think there's a long-term use case that, that's 
it's not going to pan out to be what everybody thinks it is. So what's so interesting about this, it's not like you're just um, critical of cryptocurrencies. I mean, just listen to him, folks. He like he follows this along. He knows it was at around 60. He knows it crashed down to whatever. It, you're not just making stuff up here. You actually do watch this stuff, which is also interesting because I don't know how you possibly read all the stuff you do in the time you have, but you manage. Um, so you actually keep up with it, and that's good. It's, I, I think it's just speculation. You think of um, different bubbles that, there, that, that we've had uh, mm-hmm. when there's a lot of um, hype. Is typically, you know, when the shoe's about to, to drop, um, and, and you know whether it was the real estate bubble, you know, in two thousand and eight, or you know the dot com. Like there's all there's been bubbles throughout history. They typically have a spike. They crash. They may try to reemerge, but things that don't have an economic value don't make it. Yeah. And so you know maybe uh, maybe another you know, use case comes up. I don't, I don't know, but I don't see crypto being anything that's used for regular, like daily transactions in people's lives. Yeah. So I, I, I think it's way overvalued. Maybe it is kind of a use case for, you know, large transactions or like you said, maybe it can help certain countries like Venezuela, but largely I think it's getting used to do bad things. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, we're going to, um, continue this with the next episode because we've got a couple more things and then we want to talk about what we typically do recommend, but we're kind of out of time on today's show. So Justin, you'll come back, right? Yes. Okay, good. (laughs) And as advisors, we manage and rebalance portfolios, but the unique value is that we work to understand our clients' individual goals. So we can have these types of planning conversations and make recommendations and make not to do recommendations with uh, with our clients because all these decisions are indeed so personal and unique to each individual thanks again for being with us justin yeah happy to all right the money pick podcast is hosted by reed trigo a financial advisor at goodwin investment advisory this podcast is intended to share information and perspectives but should not be interpreted as legal financial or tax advice the opinions shared by participants are not necessarily endorsed by the company Goodwin Investment Advisory is regulated by the SEC and the company operates in compliance with applicable securities, laws, and regulations. 